Welcome to Rock Solid Ministries Frontline Servants Program, where we visit with men and women on the front lines of kingdom service. For more information about our free revival ministry or to explore more of our audio and video recordings, visit our website at rocksolidministries.org. Again, rocksolidministries.org. My guest today is Arthur McCann, preacher at First Christian Church in Radcliffe, Kentucky. Art, we met in September of 2007 when Beth and I came here for our first revival. Can you believe it's been that long? Wow. Yeah. And uh, 15 years later, 15 years later, we're holding our fourth revival in Radcliffe and uh, uh, fourth for Beth and I and Greg and Lori have been here several times. And uh, since you've always been working a secular job as well as preaching when we've been here, we've never had time to sit and visit really. So I'm, I'm hoping to make up for some of that today. Uh, Brother Art, tell us your story. Well, uh, it's really hard to figure out where to start when you uh, you have a story. Uh, sometimes people like to start at the beginning. So that sounds good. Um, I, I grew up in uh, Eastern Ohio uh, on a on a dairy farm uh, in in a Christian family, and you know my mother was a Sunday school teacher. My father was an elder in the church. Um, and, you know, I guess my parents were the greatest influencers, like most children, your parents are the greatest sure. influencers on your life, um, for at least the first 18 years of my life. And uh, it was, uh, you know, maybe my story is an even more amazing story would be my mother's story. Uh, so I was uh, the youngest of seven uh, biological and adopted children. Uh, my mother, my fourth sibling, uh, was, died right after birth. Mm. Um, and my mother's, uh, you know, during the birth process, uh, she, her body was torn and she was unable to have any more children. And so you say, well, where do you come in? <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for that. <laughs> yeah. Sure. If, you know, your fourth sibling uh, was, died, then where do you come in if you're the last? And, of course, she adopted. Um, I have an adopted brother and sister, uh, and I was adopted. Uh, and so when we were, we were talking Sunday, and people were uh, in Sunday school about adoption, and so, you know, when I say adoption is a grace, I'm, I'm actually speaking from my own life experience. Yeah, I, you really talked about that in Sunday school. And, yes. and uh, I, I didn't understand that was coming from firsthand experience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but more than that, my mother raised hundreds, literally hundreds of foster children. Really? Yeah, and so, like, from, you know, kids would come, it was in the... Uh, it was kind of an amazing experience living on this dairy farm. I can remember coming home from school and uh, we got off the bus and, and there's a little boy. Um, just arrived, you know, came, you know, whatever. However he arrived there, the little boy sits on the sofa all night long, staring at the wall. He's so drugged up wow. because these kids... You know, they're hyperactive, they're unable to function in a normal society, or what we call normal society, and they bring with them bottles of tranquilizers, you know, for them to drink. And my mother's response to that was, well, that stuff goes into the sewer. Well, in the septic tank, of course. Right. We didn't have sewers. Right. We didn't have city water. We had well water, and, and, uh, and she threw it out. And she says, all children need is love and discipline and activity. And, you know, those, and it was. You wouldn't know that little boy a month later. But like all fall, you know, the kids came and go. Some, a lot of them stayed there their whole lives. Um, I got foster brothers that, you know, lived there from the time they were little until they were 18 and, or whatever it was. You know, she, she was just a You're amazing woman, wasn't she? She was, and you would, and you know, you think about it, um, she, she, um, treated all these children just like her own, 
It's an amazing story. Her story would be. Uh, but you wanted my story, but you know, she's well, that's she's, part of your story, isn't she's, it? She's definitely the greatest influence on my life. Um, not only for the first eighteen years, but probably forever. Um, you know, and so I grew up in a Christian church. Um, and which, I wanted, which church was that? Uh, for, it's um, Centerville Christian Church in Centerville, Ohio. Northeast Ohio. No, Eastern Ohio. Oh, Eastern Ohio. Okay. You know, um, down below West Virginia. Uh, okay. Wheeling, down below Wheeling. All right. Uh, St. Clairsville, Blair, down in that area. Mm -hmm. I, I know you've been in that area. We sure. lived down the road from. Uh, I know you you did a revival at Chestnut Level. Yes. Yes. And yeah. so, if. Uh, and Peyton City, West Virginia, is not is it's further south, but okay. not too far. Yeah, right. If you go down two, and you'll run into Peyton City, right? It's not that far down there. Um, but if you can, if you, if you had continued on one forty seven there, you'd have ran into Centerville. You know where you go through Belmont and go up and and hit one forty seven, uh, right? To go to Chestnut Level. Chestnut Levels right there in Buttermilk Turn. Buttermilk Turn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you just keep on going, about another three or four miles, you'd run into the church. So Okay. It's not far at all. Yeah, we've held revivals there for sure. Yeah, and uh, it was, uh, so I grew up in the church. We went to church camp, Elkhorn Valley Church Camp, did all those things. You know, and, and I started preaching when I was 14. I uh, preached my first sermon when I was 14. Did you do that at camp or at your own I, church? I did it at my church. Uh, and I preached once or twice a year. Uh, and, of course, I preached at camp. The camp was different then. We didn't have preacher camp. We just had camp. Right. And the emphasis back then, you didn't have very many little children's camps. Most of the camps when I went to camp were for teenagers. Right. Know? Yeah. You know, you'd have four or five weeks of, of senior high camp. Right. Instead of one and not getting people there like you do now. Right. But they have so many things to do. But but I, I think, I don't know, I think it was different. It was, uh, was it, it was a Christian service camp, wasn't it? I mean, you yeah, went there to learn about Christian service. Yeah, Elkhorn Valley Christian Service Camp, yeah. Right. That's, that's what they called them. I mean, now and it's they, Elkhorn Valley Christian Camp. Right, and a lot of them got away from the service idea. Though I will tell you that I've talked to some ministers who say the camps they're going to are getting back to really emphasizing Christian service. Well, part of the problem is um, just like I dealt, I was talking to our uh, camp manager here, White Mills Christian Camp. Um, it's so hard to get preachers, especially. Yeah to get involved in camp. And he said, well, I can understand why you wouldn't want to get involved in camp, you know, because you work a full-time job and you, and you do ministry on the side. But, but I'm talking about full-time ministers. They just don't want to go and do camp. Kind of quit going. Used to, when I started going to camp as a minister, all the ministers in the area attended camp. Yeah, one week. Yeah, yeah at least one week of camp. And, yeah. and most of them in our area attended we would have three weeks, three different ages, and they attended just about every camp because we needed the we needed them. Yeah, but, well, I see. You was down like in Colorado or Mississippi down right, in that area. Right. Yeah, and and you Arkansas. get up in this area where you got a lot more churches. Oh, yeah, and a lot, lot more. Yeah, but they kind of you know turned it all over to to children's ministers and youth ministers, right, and. Uh, and even them, it's hard, he says. But but it's a different world we live in. You know, now the emphasis is on more younger kids as opposed right. to... And we had camp for younger kids, too, but um, it was just different. But anyway, uh, I went to camp, right. uh, you know. Uh, and there, people pre... You know, I preached there. Uh, always had an opportunity... <coughs> And, and life is a struggle. You grew up on a dairy farm, and, and it's hard. What am I going to do? So I'm in school, and I'm thinking, what am I uh, in high school? And I'm thinking, what am I going to do when I get out? And I'm starting my senior year of high school uh, that fall. What am I going to do when I get out of high school? 
you know, the options, you know, and, and farming probably isn't an option, although that's what I'd love to do, but, but by that time, the small town, you know, family farmer was a thing of the past. They were dying off and dying fast, and even if he was one, you had to have more land, more cattle, it just... Just to survive, huh? Just to survive. Yeah. And so, you know, like, I, I was telling somebody, yeah, I, if I know what I know today, when I was a kid, I might have done things differently. You know, the idea that, you know, well, yeah, more land, more cattle, more mech mechanical stuff. Right. Technology. But if you know that, well, this... This milk came straight from a grass-fed cow, and so we're going to have to charge you $10 for it instead of five, oh. the dollar you pay in the store. Right. You know, you could, you, you know, if you knew what organics were going to do, it might have been a different world. But who knows? You, you, we can't see the future. No. And it's a good thing. Right. You know, I, people ask me all the time, you know, if, if you knew how tough and hard your life was going to be and how things were going to be, would you change anything? Because I didn't stay a Christian, you know. I, I came into the army. Uh, I, I what I did that that junior between my junior and senior year, I caught this ad in in the paper, in a magazine, Boys Life or something, you know. And I said, "Wow, you know that maybe that's something I'd like to do." Is an ad for a ranger, army ranger, not right. not forest ranger. ranger, right? And so I sent in. And then next thing I know, you know, you're young and you're 17, and the recruiter can't attack me. And, you know, my, my parents never, I mean, they loved me and they gave me guidance and directions and laws, but they didn't try to push you into a certain area. Go right. There. You know, you know, I, my older brother who was in the Army, he says to me, well, you need to stay here because that's what mom would like you to do, stay here and farm. And I said, well, yeah, but it's just so hard. And, and she kind of says the same thing. And I said, yeah, let me see what they have to say. And so I liked it. I thought, well, I'll try this, you know. I can go into the Army and get out, and they're going to pay for all my education. You know, you go in for a couple years, you get out, right. and pay for your education. And I can do anything I want after that. You know, because growing up on a dairy farm, money's tight. Sure. You know, I always say, my, my parents had a lot of wealth. You know, if you think of wealth as, as how much you're worth, my parents were worth a lot of money. You know, right. with with 200 acres, cattle, barn, equipment, all of that stuff, it's worth a lot of money. You know, they probably, in, in those days, they easily had a half a million or a million dollars worth of their net worth. Right. They couldn't. You know, it was hard putting two dollars together, though. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. all tied up in land and cows and yeah, it was all tied equipment. up. You know, they they were land rich and cash poor. Right. And and I tell people this all the time. People, you know, in, in my other job, I tell people, yeah. So you're buying a five hundred thousand dollar house. Why are you buying a five hundred thousand dollar house? Well, that's really nice. And I said, okay, so now you got a half a million dollars. But now you you pushed yourself out so far that you you can't even save any real money. That's right. So now you're going to be house rich and cash poor. That's exactly what you're going to be. Right. You're going to have property, but you, you ain't going to have any money. You know, and so you know that's what all farmers are: land rich and cash poor. Right. You know, most of them don't have a lot of money, but. Because everything is tied up in property and cattle and equipment and everything else. Anyway, that back to my story. Uh, so I, I just figured I'd uh, go in the army, get out. I, I'd have my college paid for. Right. You know, unknowns to me was that wouldn't have done me any good if I wanted to go to a Bible college at this time because none of them were accredited. And so they couldn't even take the GI Bill. Oh. Which is something I'm going to discover down the road. Right. Uh, you know, 20-some 20, 20 years later, but my thought was, you know, if I want to go to Cincinnati or KC, KCC, I, I could do that when I got out. 
Right. And not knowing the rules and the facts. And of course, um, within, actually, I might have been able to go somewhere like that because they all were candidates for accreditation by the time I got out. Uh, but at the time, back in 77, they weren't accredited. Right. So I went 75. I said 77, I meant 75. So I went to the Army in 1975. And uh, I'll tell you, tell you the truth. Uh, I, I went to the 82nd Airborne Division, uh, you know, and I was there. Uh, I was there for two years, and I got stationed overseas in Germany. And I was with a unit called the 2nd Army Cavalry Regiment. And our mission was, and the younger people here won't have any idea what I'm talking about, but our mission was to patrol the Iron Curtain. Right. You know, you might remember that term. The Iron oh, Curtain. I remember. I remember the commercials about the Iron Curtain. And, yeah. And getting the gospel across the Iron Curtain. Oh, and, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, right, yeah. Radio Free Europe. Radio all Free those, Europe. All yeah. those things. That just tells our age, brother. Yeah. We just discovered this week we're the same age. So that, that tells Yeah, and, and yeah. so that's what we did. We we patrolled the Iron Curtain there and made sure that they weren't coming across. And, and they made sure we weren't coming across. We'd look and watch each other. Um, and and I just loved it. It was a great job. It was it was a lot of fun. And, and by this time, you know, the truth be told, when I first went in the army, I kind of held on to my faith a little bit. Um, I wasn't like in basic training. I I went to chapel every Sunday. Right. Of course, you couldn't go off to a church off post, but I went to chapel every Sunday. And, right. Um, but as time moved on, um, things began to slip, you know, uh, you're around older men, you're a young guy, they're all tough, hard guys, you know, and, and wine, women, and song is, is the essence. Sure. Yeah. It's the essence of, of, of their lives, you know, I mean, these are, and, and, and being hard and being tough. And uh, I, I remember when I was stationed in, in Germany, we had a, a, I was in the second ACR, it was a hard unit, and, and tough man, a lot of partying, drinking. When we weren't doing our thing, people, you know, we were, we were living life. I mean, living right. life to what the world would say was the fullest. Right. Wine, women, and song, chasing drugs, right. whole nine yards, you know. I was never really heavy in the drugs, but there were people that were. I mean, yeah. there. and um, But I enjoyed, you know, the parties and the life, and it seemed to be what was just so great. Um, and there were times, though, that, you know, I would ask myself, what in the world am I doing here? You know, is, uh, what am I doing? You know, and and things seem to be missing from my life. But um, when you're single and you're alone and, and, and you know, you're young and everybody around you is like that, it's so easy for you to follow. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're so impressionable. And, and I, I remember this, we had a young man who came out of Fort Hood and came to our unit. And he, he was E4 promotable. And he was a Christian. And, uh, and my platoon son says, well, says to him, um, he says, well, you won't be a Christian here long. Hmm. Because you're going to fall in with everybody else. That's what will happen. And um, it's true. You know, it, it's sad, but that's exactly what happened. And his wife came, and, and you know, and, and I see this, and I think to myself, you know, th this life is just, is it, people can't live? Why is it like this? And I'm not really sure. Um, because I thought, you know, there's just questions in my head. Right. And because people think 
that this life is for the weak. The Christian life is for right. the weak. You know, it's a crutch. It's something you use. And then people think if you falter or fail, that you're not a Christian anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, so many people, even Christians, think that, you know, if I sin, if I do something wrong and, and, and I die before I ask for forgiveness, I'm going to hell. Right. You know, people think, you know, that that's how God works. Right. But people don't realize that we're in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to fail and we're going to falter. You know, and this young man didn't realize that. He was in Christ. And when he failed, when, when he did something that he shouldn't have done and he knew it, then he lost it. You know, I'm, 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 I'm a sinner. I'm not a Christian anymore. Right. And that's not how Jesus works. Right. You know, we're in Christ. The only way, you know, we have to deliberately desire to step outside of Christ. Right. It's not a. It, it, it's, it's, it's not, not a, a failure. It's a choice. It's a choice. Yeah, uh, making. I don't like to use the word mistake, but making a bad choice now and again is a part of life. But making the choice to walk away from Christ—that's where we have the problem. Yeah. Right. And 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 I made that choice. Whether it was a deliberate choice, his you ever you. You know the group Casting Crowns? Yes, sir. Yeah, they have a beautiful song that, that tells how we become lost. It's called A Slow Faith. It's a slow faith. Right. You know, they don't, they don't mean it that way. They're talking, I think they're singing as how families fall apart and things like this. But that's, right. how, you, that's how you leave Christ. You know, it, it's not... One day I was a strong Christian and I said, oh, I don't want to be a Christian no more and I walk away. Right. It's I slowly make choices that lead me away. And I follow those choices and then I make a choice to go. You know, and, and, and I was living my life in a way that was opposite of everything I learned. Everything mm -hmm. I knew and everything I wanted to be. And you knew it was. And I knew it was. Right. And, and, but, but like this guy, and he's trying to tell me about the Bible, which, which is great. And I said, and he says, well, there's a passage, and I forget what passage he mentioned. He says, let me find it. And I say, it's located here. He said, how do you know that? I said, I just know that. Yeah. I mean, I spent, 17, eight, almost 18 years of my life in Sunday school, in church, reading the Bible, knowing the Bible, preaching the Bible, teaching the Bible. I know that. Right. You know, I know the Bible. I know where it is. I, but, but my choice was to ignore it. And that's the choice I made. You know, and it didn't happen in a day. It happened over time. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say it totally happened. When I would go back home occasionally, um, you know, I, I would go to church occasionally. Not every time I went home right. I went to church, because sometimes I got too drunk on Saturday night to go to church. Mm. I'd wake up on Sunday morning and go to church, but sometimes I would. And, and you know, but I, I knew my life was... was not what I wanted it to be. Right. But I was out there and I knew the way to go, where I, I should be, but it was too hard. It was too hard because this is the easy road. It's so easy to follow the crowd. It's so easy, you know, to drink, to party, to chase women, to do these kind of things. It's just so easy to do that. But yeah. but how, and it's not that, I didn't need a crutch, because this was my crutch. Right. This is what made me, held me up. I, I didn't have no inner strength, no fortitude, um, but I was just like everybody else. And I wanted to be like everybody else. 
and and my life continued going on. You know, and so I I got stationed in the states and in that Fort Knox, and you know, I wasn't far from my home, and so I go back frequently. And so I, I started dating a girl who was in the church, and you know, on. So we started dating, and I was going to get, this is a weird story, because I was thinking about getting serious with her, and I was going to ask her, we just went out on dates, you know, we go to the gym, um, up in Willing, they have the Jamboree USA, right? and we go there on a Saturday night, or we go to the movies, or we'd stay at her house and watch a movie, or whatever, and I thought about getting serious with her. And, and she wasn't dating anybody else, but I had to go on a mission, do some field training. Um, so I left that Sunday and went back to Kentucky. And, uh, so I'd gone for three weeks, and I come back, and she's getting married. She wow. just met this guy in three weeks. She thought she was going to get married to him. Wow. Isn't that something? And... and yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about changing my life, and, and uh, you know, but I wasn't. I, I was playing a hypocrite. Right. Around her, I was, I'd be at church, but, you know, when I wasn't around her, I'd still be doing my partying and drinking mm. back here and, and even back at home. Uh, now, you say back here, I should say, uh, put things in perspective, Radcliffe is just right outside Fort Knox, yes, and that's right. where you're still at. So yeah. I thought I ought to bring that to the attention of our listeners. Right? Yeah, right. When I say Fort here, I mean Fort Knox. It's Fort Knox area, sure. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, so there was this thing. What the heck? You feel, you know, this is a good Christian woman, supposedly. She's been dating me. I'm gone for three weeks, and now she's engaged to be married. She just met this guy, like, right after I left. And we, we didn't, it's not that I felt like she was cheating on me, because we didn't have any formal commitment. Right. But it was like, man, you just meet a guy and get married? And <laughs> you've been dating somebody else? Just dating for, you know, just... I, I would assume if you're a Christian and you're dating somebody, you're dating them thinking of marriage because, I mean, that's, Christians aren't dating for pleasure. Right. You know, and, and you're thinking, but bam, and that kind of set me back. It was kind of weird, but then, um, so drinking, partying, that became my life, you know, and, and I kept at it. The only thing that really stopped me from, you know, it didn't bring me to Christ, but it stopped me from drinking and partying was that I did meet a lady, and, and uh, you know, 41 years ago, and, and we got married, you know. I, I, and so that kind of, you know, the drinking part kind of, and the partying kind of went to the wayside. Right. But that didn't mean I was a Christian. And that didn't mean that there weren't times when I did drink. And I still was a hard. When I say hard, I mean, I mean hard as, well, I mean hard. The way we use the term hard. Right. The hard man. Right. You know. It's hard to think of now when I, knowing you are, as I do, uh, I know it's true because I've seen what God does to people and how he changes them. But for you to sit and tell me you were a hard man, it's hard for me to even visualize that in you. You're you're a very nice man, a very kind and considerate person. So kind of hard to imagine, but I've met a lot of guys on this podcast who have told me the same thing. Well, I had a hard profession. I, I, sure. I lived in a profession, you know, that dealt with death and destruction. And, right. And, um, you know, but... But, you know, as life goes on, and this is a number of years down the road, you know, we have, we have two children now, and we're, we're, uh, and so there's a fellow, um, 
a lot of people might remember this fellow's name. His name was Saddam Hussein. Yeah. Uh, Saddam decides he wants to go into Kuwait. And of course, uh, that that was a hard time, you know. And and so um, people have different reactions to this kind of thing, you know, as, as the war as as the situation escalates. Um, my wife and I have opposite reactions to this. She's worried about that I'm going to go, and I'm worried that I'm not going to get to go. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 when I've told people that, they would say, "Are are you crazy? You wanted to go to war? No, I didn't want to go to war, but I'm the best at this, right? You know, and this is my country. If somebody's going to go, it should be me, right? You know, and and this is my profession. This is what I do. But well, what about your family? Well, I'm a hard man. You know, that's uh, and and this is who I am. Right. You know, and she knew that when she signed on the dotted line. <laughs> right. You know, she knew that I was a soldier. She knew this is what I did. She knew, you know, and it's not like what there's there's a hundred thousand soldiers that go to war and only twenty thousand of them actually are engaged in combat. Right. You know, I'm a, I'm a frontline combat soldier. This is what I do. Um, and so, yeah, it was a tough time for us and a lot of stress and and our marriage began to unravel. And uh, we, the war's over, and we get base stationed back in the States, and and uh, I, I get stationed in Chicago, Illinois, with a reserve unit, and we go up there, and there's no housing for two years, and um, so we had a house here in Radcliffe, so my wife and family come down here, and I'm in Chicago, and I'm just... I drive to the armory. It's not called armory. It's called a reserve center. Mm -hmm. I drive to the reserve center every day. And I, I stayed at a place called Glenview Naval Air Station. They had geographical bachelor's quarters there, and I didn't have to pay for them. And that was a place for me to stay when my family was here. And I, and I drive down this road every day. And I drive past one of the... And Illinois is a hotbed for Christian churches. Oh, sure. Really? Chicago is not. Right. There are some, and there's more. But that, that tip of Chicago is not. But I drive past this church, and I can't remember the name of it. It might have been Mount Pleasant, Mount Prospect Christian Church. Right. I drove past it every day. And I said to myself one day, I say to myself, I should go in there. I should go in there. And I did. One Sunday, I actually went in there. And outside of at home when I was younger, I right. hadn't been in church in I don't know how many years. But I went in there. And um, there, there was, uh, you know, I went in there, and there was people greeting me, and there was a fellow in there and said, hey, it's nice to see you. Um, we have a basketball league. Do you like to play basketball? No, I don't like, I don't like basketball. Huh. Uh, I'm not good at basketball. I like to play football. Right. I said, well, that sounds like fun. I'll do it. Really? Yeah, huh. anything to be active. You know? Sure. I, I was a runner. I mean... Previous to this, I was a competitive runner. You know, I ran 10Ks and half marathons and, and uh, you know, before my, and, and I got injured. And so I tore, I tore my calf muscle in my right leg and that um, kind of set me back. But yeah, sure. You know, I, you know it's activity. I, I'm not great at basketball, but I like to play with other guys. No, I was in the army. I played. Not anything real, but beat somebody up basketball. <laughs> and so I went, and, and you know we would play every every other week. And I mean, we would play twice a week, or sometimes once a week on Mondays or whatever date it was. And then he said, "You know, we have a small Bible study. Would you like to come and join us?" 
And I did. And, I, you know, between all the other things I was doing there, um, you know, and coming home when I could, to spend time with my family on the weekends or whatever, um, it was a slow process. But, but, but God was calling me. And, uh, Did your family know that you were going to church? Up there in Chicago. It's an amazing story because my wife had a friend here. Yeah. Um, who's now dead. And um, she was going to church with her at one of the Korean churches here in town. Right. At the same time. And, and no, um, they didn't. And I didn't know. And we came down and we were talking and... and She's going to, when we come on the weekend, we wouldn't go to church. Uh-huh. But when we, but, but I knew that they were going to church because my children told me that they were going to church. And um, it was weird because I'm, why I'm in Chicago, I have no idea. Uh, they have one spot for someone like me. There's three people that are feeling it. You know, and, and I told him I didn't want to go to Chicago. I want to stay in the force. I don't want to be out there. And he said, this is priority assignment. Um, we got to have you there. Um, I get there, and there's three people already there filling the spot that I'm supposed to take. And they all just got there within the last two or three months, too. Oh. So why am I in Chicago? There's no job for me here. There's no God, function for God me put here. you there to pass that church, didn't he? <laughs> There's no reason that I should be in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And and it takes me a year to get out of Chicago. And it's like, well, you can't go overseas because you just came from overseas. Right. And I said, well, I'm not asking you to move me anywhere. I can go to Fort Knox. I'll move myself, you, you know. And, and I have a job there. They need me. I have a function because I already had a little, you know, that I had a job, a letter of acceptance, you know, that they wanted me in this position. and But you're telling me I have to be in Chicago. There's a critical shortage in Chicago for people <laughs> in my MOS. But there's one spot and there's four of us to take it. Tell me, why am I in Chicago? God thing. It's amazing, but yeah, there's no function for me there. But by the time I come back, I'm, I'm, my faith has been restored. I'm not saying I'm, I'm, you know, ready to jump into ministry, but but I'm moving to becoming a believer. Right. I, I wasn't a believer. You know, people people tell me, I was in Bible college, they say, oh, you were still a believer. No, I wasn't a Christian. Don't fool yourself. I wasn't a Christian. Oh, if you wasn't a Christian, you could never become one. No, I make choice. I was on a path of making choices that would lead me away from God. Right. You know, if, if I had died, there would have been, you know, I, I could make choices to come back at this point in my life. My heart went so hard that I didn't hear the call of Christ. And there were times in my life I heard that call. And sometimes they, they were, you know, more on a political realm. I remember in the early 80s, um, I would constantly watch the 700 Club. Right. Remember that old 700 Oh, yeah, I remember that. And, sure. and the only reason I watched it is because, well, they, they, were, they politically agreed with me. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and yeah, they, this Christ, you know, and, and there's, there's a lot of people who think, um, you know, that's why I told you, you know, when you talk Sunday, Sunday night, I think it was Sunday night, Sunday morning, about such a time as this? No, Sunday night. The priesthood of all believers. Oh, all right, priesthood of all believers, yeah. And and we we are the salt of the earth. Right. And we, we are, are the light. light. Yeah. Um, we don't shine the light. We are the light. Right. You know, and, and, and some people think that light is politics, but it isn't. No. Now, that, that isn't to say that, you know, your polit- the way you vote shouldn't, reflect your Christian beliefs. It should. You know, just as you spend your money should reflect your Christian yes. beliefs. You know, if you're spending your money at the strip club, 
And, right. you, and you say you're a believer, you're not. You're fooling right. yourself. Right. You know, if you're spending your money on drugs and, and alcohol, you're, and you say I'm a Christian, you're not. You're fooling yourself. Uh, at least getting drunk, I should say. Um, but, you know, if you're spending your money on things that are anti-Christian, then, or, yeah, anti-Christian. Right. Then you're fooling yourself if you think you're a believer. But I wasn't fooling myself. You knew you weren't. I knew I wasn't. Right. Because I knew what a believer was. Well, when, when did you get, when did it start touching your heart about preaching that? I mean, did you come, did you come back here to Fort, to Fort Knox? Yeah, I got stationed. I mean, I know you're here now, but I, uh, I I left Chicago. Um, I got, I went back to the Gulf, um, and then I came back to Chicago, and then I, and so all this happened in just a few, few months, but within a year, year and a half. Um, so I left Chicago and came back to Fort Knox, um, and by this time, I'm, you know, and so, well, when I would come back from Chicago here, I would go, we, we, my wife was now going to church, and she had picked her own church, um, a Korean church, and I would go over um, to church with her when we came back here, um, but when I got stationed here in, 90, in 93, um, we started coming to church right here. So this, this first Christian church, Radcliffe. Yeah, this is uh, where my kids grew up in the church right here. Uh, we come to church here, and uh, I, I already told. I knew I was going to be a preacher. I wanted to be a preacher from the time I was little. Hmm. And God, had, God had put this calling on me, and and I don't know if I was running from it, like Jonah. And God was molding me. Right. God was shaping me. And, and people say, well, if you could change your life, would you? No. You see, there, there are so many things I gained from this journey. Right. And if, if I had lived my life differently, if I had gone to, to Bible college right out of high school, I wouldn't be the man I am. Yeah. I wouldn't be the man I am. Right. I, I would be a totally different man. Right. And, and whether that was a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. But let's say I had, and, and you know, and people think, well, they're preachers and they're all good and follow God. But that's not true. A lot of people are serving God for monetary gain. Well, that's the truth. For prestige. Yeah. A lot of people are serving God for the honor of it. A lot of people serve God because they're building a monument unto themselves. Right. And would I have been that kind of man? Don't know. I don't know what kind of man I would be, but God knew. Right. And and so God wasn't going to let go of me. He was going to make me choose to never, never, to, to make that final step and go away. Right. But he worked circumstances in my life put things in my life and put people in my life and people I've never seen again you know except for that nine months I was in Chicago and they became a great influence on my life they don't know that I haven't seen them I'll probably never see them again and and I have even forgotten their names and I went to church with them right. and one of them owned the pizza place the family pizza place he was an Italian guy um, and, he, and all of this stuff was on me. Really, great guy. He 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 was the one, the first one. He actually said, "Hey, you know, uh, bat, play basketball. Hey, you know, um, uh, join this Bible study." Maybe uh, somebody from there, or a descendant from somebody from there, may hear this podcast and contact you. You, you never know. You never know. And, and um, he went to that little church, and he had his pizza place, and. And, uh, you know, he he's the one that got me to play basketball. He's the one that, um, you know, got me into that Bible study. And isn't that interesting? It wasn't a preacher. It was the pizza man. And that's that's a lesson we need to learn, isn't it? 
that everybody in the church can reach out. And when somebody walks in to say, I'm glad you're here, sit with me or play basketball with us or whatever, uh, you're carrying him before the Lord, as we talked about the other night. It is, you? it is, yeah. exactly, you know. And, right. And, uh, you know, and there were a few others in that group, and like I said, I didn't even know their names. Um, but, but you know, in, in a world to them, it, it's kind of interesting because to them in a world that was going crazy, mm-hmm. they were so excited about, you know, some of the people I was there with, and I don't even remember their names. I know there, there was... Um, a young lady and, and her husband, and they were so excited because they were going to Russia to preach the gospel uh, on a trip because the Iron Curtain had fallen. Right. You know, and, and to me that was an amazing experience in my life. It's incredible um, because I spent my life guarding that Iron Curtain. Right. Looking across at the bad guys, you know, every day and... And to me, it was like a victory. To them, it was an opportunity to preach the gospel. You know, when I, growing up with that iron curtain, that whole thing about duck and cover under your desk if there's an atomic bomb, yeah. <laughs> whole thing, when the curtain came down, it was just like no time when a, a preacher friend that, from Arkansas had been a long time in the church, he resigned and headed for Russia. I mean, Isn't it amazing? But to, yeah. to, to, to us, it was like a victory. We've, we've won, and it's over. It's over. To us, it's over. And but the church to, is to just beginning. People, to these people that I was being introduced to, it wasn't over. It was, it, And it wasn't a beginning, because the beginning had been going on for years. For sure. You know, I, I tell people the story as, as, you know, once that iron curtain went down, there used to be a magazine in the Brotherhood called Horizons. You remember? Horizons? Oh, sure, sure. Um, and this church was really big on Horizons. I picked it up and started reading it. It's a great magazine. I read a story in there about um, this was years later after, after this. It's probably in the late nineties. I read a story um, about a, a preacher's wife from Poland who came to the United States. And she she came to the United States because her her husband was getting higher education at one of our colleges. Right. And they told her, just walk down to the store and get some cereal. It's right around the corner. Some breakfast cereal. And 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 thirty minutes later she isn't back, so they said, Well, I'll go down the store and see. And they go down to the store and she's staring at the cereal. And he walks up to her and says, what's wrong? She says, I don't know what to buy. Too many choices. Too many choices. He said, when I go to the store in Poland to buy cereal, I just buy cereal because breakfast cereal because that's the only choice. Right. But you have a whole aisle full of cereal. And, And I'm reading this. She goes on in her story and she said, when she, she was a teenager, she didn't want to be a Christian. She hated Christians. Because Poland is a Catholic country. And they would walk to church. And if anybody came on the road, they would hide in the ditch so they wouldn't see that they were walking to church. Mm-hmm. Because they might stop and beat them up. Right. Because the church was in another village and hers. And, you know, and, and she, it was harder. She didn't have socks to wear. And she just wore shoes without socks. And she didn't have other things because they were poor and they were Christians. And they couldn't get any help from the Catholic Relief societies or the government mm-hmm. because they right. were Christians. And she got to the church. And they got there. And there were these, all these socks and clothes and stuff that had come from the United States from other Christian churches and she said it just hit her so much that people cared about her right people had never seen her cared about let me tell you the rest of the story I'm reading this article and I'm thinking you know and I'm I'm walking I'm making this is this who I want to be every year 
in my little home church back in southeastern Ohio. Every year we put up a Christmas tree, and every year we loaded it with socks to ship to Poland. Whoa. And I'm reading this story about how that had changed her life. That somebody cared about her and loved her. Socks. Socks. Wow. And here I am on a dairy farm in eastern Ohio. In this same time frame. Mm-hmm. Putting socks on the Christmas tree in Singapore. Wow. That is something. Art. Well, tell me, I, I'm, I'm still still trying to put it together. You, you, you're back here in 1993, so you've been here about 30 years in, in Radcliffe. When did this whole transition come where you became a preacher? How did that come about? I wanted to be a preacher my whole life. Right. So you're here, you're back here, living in Radcliffe now. Now I'm back here and living in Radcliffe. I'm coming to this church. And uh, the first thing, you know, we, we put our membership in. So it, it's kind of weird because we come here and the, the minister's here. And we really like this minister. But uh, we've probably been here a week or two. And he gets up and says, you know, as of January the 1st, I'm resigning. So I guess I got we got here probably in late October or something. Oh, and he gave you know he's resigning, he's quitting, um, and wow, that's fast. And so we you know sometime in the spring we get another preacher in, and then you know in in the summer um, we become members here. Uh, my wife is. Is um, she goes to church and she believes in God, but she got baptized here at first okay. Christian, and, and so the only one who didn't was me. But I'm here and I'm in the army and I'm getting ready to get out of the army. I'm a, I'm a deacon and you know I, I know God has called me to service, and so I'm a deacon, but. Um, what, what is it I want? I don't know. And I get out of the army, um, and I look around, because I'm thinking, you know, what I'd like to do, you know, is go to Bible college. Well, I have to pay for it out of my own pocket. Right, because GI Bill won't. The GI Bill won't do it. Right. Unless I go to, like, Cincinnati or... And, and I got a job here. I'm working here. Right. Um, I can't afford to go to Cincinnati, give up my job, and and uh, the GI Bill won't pay for it. Um, of course, I could have went to Southern Baptist mm-hmm. Seminary in Louisville. The GI Bill would have paid for that. But right. else, LBC is un, is not is not uh, accredited. Louisville Bible College. Louisville Bible right. College. And right. College of the Scriptures is unaccredited. Right. And so they won't pay for either one of those. So my only choice is, you know, i got to support my family and I have a job. So I can't go, I'm, 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 you know, I'm 40 years old. i got two kids and a wife and they're depending on me to support them. And so I said, well, I'll just go to college, you know. I, I can go to college. I can get all my prerequisites, English and right. math and all that out of the way. And I do. As I'm doing that, um, I, I work at Dana Corporation, which is a company in Etown. Uh, we build F-150 truck frames. Mm-hmm. And I'm there, and, 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 you know, this is not what I want. I kind of, because of the work and the demand in the school, I'm kind of slipping in, in my faithfulness to God. Right. Um, and I said, God, I know you want me. But if you really want me to be a preacher, then I'll take on that task of going to school in addition to this job and my other school. But you're going to have to pay for it. 
every every week we have our every month we have a monthly um we have a monthly team meeting. Right. And they give out for those people who have perfect attendance, they give them their money. And then they give out prizes. You know, they do the wheel or somebody right. Or you're building these trucks. Where we're building F right. fifty truck frames. Yeah. I mean I make good money. Right. It's it's not a cheap job, but you know, I'm at the point, you know, God, if you want me to do this, you're gonna have to pay for it. Well, I've been there for probably three years. I've never ever won anything. And I never have perfect attendance because that's just like giving money away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. When you're working 60, 70 hours a week at a job and going to school full time. Right. Um, I'm not worried about being perfect attendance as long as you're paying me and I'm not there. Right. <laughs> if you're going to pay me and I don't have to work, I'm I'm going right. to take advantage of that. I'm sure. sorry, uh, but I have a heck of a schedule, and and so I win this thing. And I said, I it is a the car, it's the Dana race car. Wow, it's a model. Right. right. Yeah. And I just my line supervisor comes up to me, and he says. Um, I know you're not interested in racing. I said, you're right, Paul, I'm not. I care less about the car. He says, I'll give you $150 for it. At $50 a semester hour, that gives me three semester hours. Ah. That got you started. That got me started. Well, when, because our time yes, is, is, all right, go ahead. For the next four months, I won every month. <laughs> well, you and told God you had to pay for it, and God said, okay. And by that time, I was supply preaching. So just area. And doing revivals, because I preached at LBC. Right. Before you can supply preach, you have to preach a sermon at Louisville Bible College there. Right. And I did, and I had four people come up to me and said, hey, we'd like you to do a revival for us. So now you've got revivals, and they're probably giving you an offering to revivals that helps pay for some of the school. Um, no, I added all that up together. I didn't pay anything. God paid for it. Well, we've got, you're not going to believe this, Brother Art, but we've got about two minutes left in this podcast. <laughs> Can you believe that we've been on here almost an hour? And I just want to know, what year did you start preaching here at Radcliffe? 2003. 2003. March of 2003. And that, that, did your preacher leave? And um, So I am preaching. I, I have a church. And, and, um, and the, in January of 2003, the elders of the church come to me and say, Brother, you know, I'm doing interim ministry there. And they said, Brother McCann, we're not going to need you anymore. You've hired a full-time minister. And I've been preaching almost every, uh, well, this I, I guess it was December of 2002, and I've been preaching almost every Sunday. Um, my family still came here, but um, I would travel and preach and do revivals, and, and, was, it, and that's the ministry I wanted to be in. Um, and so they say to me, um, so I don't know anything that's going on, and neither, but I'm not preaching. And so January of 2003, and we come here, and um, when we'd still been here when I wasn't doing whatever. And so I go home after church, and we get a phone call, and, and Brother Williams, uh, the, one of the elders here, he says, he, he says, you know, in March... Um, we're not going to have a preacher. Would you be willing to fill in for us? And I said, yes, I would do it. And I said, but you're going to have to hire somebody. Um, because, you know, located ministry is really not my passion. It's not what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been waiting 20 years for them to hire somebody. So you've been filling in for 20 I cannot tell you how many guys that I've sat down and had this interview with who have been... Uh, filling in for the last 35 years or 20 years. You've been here 20 years 
next year. If you came in 2003... I'll begin my 23rd, 21st year of ministry here on wow. the first Sunday in March of 2003. Well, Art, this hour has gone so fast. Uh, it always does, but I, wanna, I don't want to end without thanking you, first of all, for your service to our country. We respect you and appreciate that so much. And for your time in the, in the Gulf War and, and uh, just the moving around and all that you did for our country... And more so, I want to thank you for serving in the kingdom of Christ and a soldier in the kingdom of Christ. And for the souls you brought and will bring to the Lord, uh, it's, it's worth it all. And I really appreciate you so much and appreciate you taking time today. I know you're very busy and, and uh, I appreciate you taking time with me. And uh, I'd say to our listeners, as I always do, if this podcast has been an encouragement to you, we hope that you'll share it with your friends and co-workers in Christ and uh, hit the like button if you're listening on one of the podcast engines where you can do that and follow us. We appreciate that. And until next time, this is Evangelist Tom Weaver saying goodbye and may God pour down his blessings on you like a Mississippi rain.